If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is John Delancey, and you are listening to the GeekCast Radio Network. Did you miss me, Celestia? I miss you. It's quite lovely being in and stone, but you wouldn't know that, would you? Because I don't turn ponies into stone. The Continuum didn't think you had it in you, Jean-Luc. But I knew you did. I was the one that got you into it. A directive from the Continuum. The part about the helping hand, though, was my idea. The trial never ends. We wanted to see if you had the ability to expand your mind and your horizons. And for one brief moment, you did. When I realized the paradox. Exactly. For that one fraction of a second, you were open to options you had never considered. That is the exploration that awaits you. Hello, and welcome to this special GeekCast Radio interview. I'm your host, Steve Megatron Phillips, and joining me in this awesome interview is... Kevin Optimus Solo Thompson. Hello, Steve. Hello. And we are interviewing today John Delancey. Hello, John. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, you know what? It, it explains this is this uh this UK thing explains why the, the what I was concerned about in terms of being a uh um a lot of jet lag talking to talking to a bunch of guys who were, you know, like five o'clock in the morning. So uh so okay. We're on. We're much better. <laughs> yeah, we're much better. Awesome. Uh, we're going to start out with a couple of just general background questions. And uh, starting those out, uh, where did you grow up at? I grew up in Philadelphia. I, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, Center City, uh, for the first, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years. And then uh, my folks moved out to the, uh, the suburbs. And, uh, and then I left Philadelphia when I was about 18. Nice. How did growing up with dyslexia affect your life and do you have any advice for uh, the many other people out there facing the same types of challenges you've faced well it was difficult i mean it was really difficult because when i went to school um people didn't know uh, about anything about dyslexia so they just figured that um i was a little slow and um i flunked out of uh i don't know one two at least two places, until I got to a school in the sixth grade, which was pretty much for kind of wayward kids, probably a lot of whom had dyslexia. Uh, and the, the headmistress of the school said, well, I think that he has dyslexia. Now, that was okay with me because it was better, it was better to find out I had dyslexia than to just be told I was stupid again. But it isn't as if anybody did anything about it. There wasn't anything to do. It was it was a name, and um, and it gave some sort of credence to why it was that I could be, you know, fairly clever in on certain things and really behind the eight ball in others. What was it that finally kind of let you get over the the hump there, especially going going on into a, a field that you know with lines and you know acting in general that would be so much there'd be so much focus on you know the reading and, and everything else well I, I think that like a lot of people you tend to gravitate towards the things sometimes that you don't do that well and you overcompensate i was in class in again in sixth grade uh, probably hacking around in the back and my teacher came in 
And the next thing I knew, I had a book bounce off my chest. He threw a book across the room, and it bounced off my chest and fell onto my onto my desk. And he said, uh, you know, probably along with be quiet and a fair amount of other expletives, he said, uh, two months from now, we're going to do Henry V. Uh, this was during the spring. Two months from now, we're going to do Henry V. And Delancey, you're going to play Hal. And he went around the room and, and assigned part. Now, I then had to go and read the play, which was excruciating. And, well, actually, I had to read the play, which was difficult, but then I had to memorize, and that was excruciating. I just yeah. didn't know how to memorize. And to this day, I am not really very good at it. And it gives me a lot of anxiety. I, I don't know why. Uh, my wife, uh, who is not dyslexic, can learn very complicated stuff in a very, very short time while I am still struggling. The only difference is, is that once I've got it, I seem to know kind of what to do with it, you know, maybe certainly as well, if, if not in certain instances better than others. But, um, but it, 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 it's, it's always been a struggle and it will always remain a struggle. So, so what was it exactly that, uh, that made you decide to get into the acting business? And if you um, could tell us about landing your first official uh, role as an actor. Well, uh, after all of this discussion about struggle and what have you and flunking and uh, having to learn this stuff and, 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 and perform it, I went ahead and did that. And at the end of that performance outside on that on that day in you know in May, mm-hmm. uh, everybody crowded around me and said, "Wow, you're really good at this." And there was a guy there who had come to see his uh, his granddaughter, who went up to my father and said, "You know, if if your son wants to do this, he should." Uh, you should encourage him because he's actually really good at this. Now, this guy happened to be the editor of the Pelican Shakespeare's for, you know, well, the, those those Shakespeare books that every, well, every school kid used to have. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was the first time in my life that I had ever had any positive feedback in school. And so I just glommed on to that. I mean, that, you know, that was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> You know, little did I know that each and every time it, it that that the learning of my lines was not going to really become that much easier as time went on because it took me a very very long time to even understand how to learn lines. But but that was that was something. So now we jump forward. I ended up going to Juilliard. I, I was very fortunate in being able to go there, and um, I had had a bunch of other jobs in between that, but probably the first really official job. Was was being in the um, uh, American Shakespeare Company up in Stratford, uh, Connecticut, uh, and then um, what else? Uh, then I came back into into New York, and I auditioned for a bunch of stuff, and I got a, a, a an opportunity to to be in a movie, and I went in, out to Los Angeles, and then I worked at Universal for two years, where I did many, many, many shows and then I got tired of that and I went up to Seattle back into the theater and then you know so so I I was you know uh, up and running I mean I I think that I was for the most part pretty naive and rather immature Uh, one thing that was helpful is that in my younger days I I I sort of looked like an actor you know I I was good enough uh, good good enough looking that that was helpful where sometimes my acting was probably not quite as good as it should have been. <laughs> was there a certain, last question on this topic, but was there a certain point where you, did you know right from the beginning that this is what you wanted to do long-term, or was there a certain point where it clicked and you said, you know, you figured out that this is definitely what you want to stick with? Well, I I really hadn't thought about it. And when you when you figure, I started acting when I was 14. By the time I was 28, I now was actually making my living at it. But I was making my living at it in such a way that 
you know, there were it, it there it was a it was a struggle, not as much as a lot of people had. I, I've been very fortunate, but it was enough of a struggle for me to go. God, is this something I really want to do? It was at that time that I began. I sort of sat myself down and and realized I, I'm full into this now. Mm-hmm. I have no other profession. I mean, there isn't anything else I'm good at. It isn't like I'm going to go back and get my PhD, you know. <laughs> I mean, this was, I was, for for better or for worse, I was stuck. And so it was at that point that I thought, you know, I really need to sort start thinking about this in a way that will make me successful and not just a feather for every wind. Right. Jumping gears a little bit more into something a little bit more specific, do you have a favorite show that you have had the pleasure of working on? Well, Breaking Bad is an awfully good show. You know, I, I think it's uh, Vince, the, the creator of that, is just about the best. I mean, oh my gosh. He's just amazing. And... um so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the last show I was in, uh, which I don't think is going to go anywhere, but it was uh, Torchwood, I thought, did a pretty good job. Uh, those are some of the shows that you would have seen of late. Gotcha. Um, what about specifically looking at all of the different Star Trek-related projects that you've been involved with? Is, there a, is it possible for you to pick a favorite out of all of them? Well, Star Trek clearly is a defining show for me to the extent that, you know, <laughs> my grave will say best known as. Uh, um, I went, by the way, I was doing a play not too long ago, a couple uh, months or so ago, and and uh, sometimes on the Saturdays or Sundays uh, in between shows, we would go and have lunch in the cemetery. It's it's the celebrity cemetery in, in uh, Westwood, and uh, Marilyn Monroe is there and, you know, and, and Merv Griffin and what have you. And some of the grave markers are fantastic. Merv Griffin's is, Merv Griffin's is, um, I will not be back <laughs> after a brief commercial. <laughs> nice. And then there was some actor, and I wish I could remember his name, but it's so, he goes, uh, yeah, I'm going to come up with a name, you know, Bob Gray, a fine actor, weather permitting. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so there were lots of, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so in any case, um, oh God, now I forgot your question. I've got, I've got. It's just, uh, just out of all the different Star Trek projects, if you had a particular favorite. Oh, well, sure. Uh, I think, I think the, uh, for me, the, the project, the, uh, the next gen was the was the more you know substantive show. Uh, the last episode, um, uh, uh, all good things was was um, was a place where I I could sort of do. I, I didn't have a great deal to do, but each scene sort of was pivotal, or or, or at least um, character wise, it was pivotal, right. and that I, I could I could present. A, a new fa- a facet, uh, you know, each one had a little different facet of this character called Q. Is it true that when when they were going to make that last episode of the, of the Next Generation, I read somewhere that you had uh, approached Rick Berman and asked if you could be in that final episode? Is that a factual thing? N- no, I didn't. Okay, no. I mean, I'm was- delighted. I'm delighted uh, on being in it, but I, uh, you know, it's it's very awkward in asking. Uh, producers mm-hmm. uh, for work. Um, it places them in an awkward position if that's not really what they want to do, and it places you in, in a position where you know you're you're being told essentially. It, I mean, it's it's. I, I always think of it as like asking somebody, "Am I going to be invited to your dinner party?" Right. You know, it's, it's like no. <laughs> oh my god! So I never. I just never ask. I never ask. Makes sense. Yeah, that, that that was kind of a nice bookend, though, having Q in the first episode and the final episode of TNG. So. Mm. Yeah, I think so, too. 
I think so too. And I mean, you know, for most people, they don't, most people think that I was a series regular on the show. Right. I mean, most people think when I, when I say to them, well, how many episodes do you think I was in on all three shows? Oh, you know, whatever, Deep Space and uh, right. Voyager. Oh, they go, oh my God, I don't know, 20, 30. I said, well, try nine. <laughs> nine. Um, so I, uh, there would be shows in which people would say, no, 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 you were in that. And you, and I go, actually, I wasn't. He goes, well, you know, really? It's, well, you should have been in it. You know, <laughs> well, I think it's just a testament to how much of an impact that character that character had. Well, there's no question the character had an impact which was disproportionate <laughs> to the amount of times he was he was he traipsed around on right. so, you know. so what project has posed the biggest challenge that you've had that you've been a part of? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, since we talked about line learning, uh, man and Superman. With the Don Juan section uh, represented about three hours and fifty minutes of me talking at high speed uh, on stage, that was terrifying. <laughs> and also, because I did it, it was exhilarating. I've written a fair amount of shows for for uh, uh, symphony orchestras, and uh, and they are fraught with um, all sorts of production issues that don't usually exist in the theater um but you know the, the symphony hall symphony orchestras are not producing instruments and so trying to get a sort of theatrical production up in a symphony uh, uh, environment is has been super challenging um I, I i don't know i mean uh one of the things and i'm changing the subject a little bit is that it, some actors just like to act. They just they just enjoy that, and and regardless of almost regardless of what the material is, that state that that you get in is something that is for them is is um, is everything. I, I'm not somebody like that. Um, I, I really need to think the material is is good and really somehow have a feel for the material um, above and beyond just wanting to have the job. And so I tend to work less and less uh, uh, because I don't really want to sit around the set. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I have other things that I do that, that also take up time and time is becoming more and more precious. So, Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, I, I'll, I'm doing a little, a little, tiny little, I don't know what it's going to be, you know, 12 minute little short for a guy next week. And um, I'm doing it. Only because the material, I go, oh, this is very interesting. It's a story of a, uh, of a psychologist who is counseling a woman who uh, is, uh, cannot accept uh, the fact that her husband is gone and is not coming back. And she has turned it into that he actually has run off with another woman, and what we what we realize in in the in this short in this very short short is that her husband died in nine eleven, hmm. and what we also discover is that my wife died in nine eleven. 
So we are two people in in real pain trying to to deal with this issue, and we are um, um, uh, hooked together. We have there's a symbiotic relationship that we we have, and just as a little little it's a little tiny project and i just thought oh that that sounds really interesting let's let's see where that goes so that's the type of stuff i mean along with i just finished doing um in philadelphia l'histoire de soldat which is a stravinsky piece i was in rochester a couple of uh, about a, a month ago now um doing a new piece for a symphony orchestra which is a very exciting piece it it's a dr seuss piece about uh, the sneeches i didn't know oh, this cool. yeah, yeah i didn't know oh, it cool. and um and the sneeches was used by in bosnia by the nato commander at the time to try uh, he he ordered oh i don't know something like uh, a half a million uh, books uh, uh 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 printed up of the sneeches in croatian you know to to um to distribute to the to the people there to try to get them to stop killing each other um, and and uh, a, 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 a wonderful man by the name of uh, dr. Sid, Sidney Sobel uh, a doctor in in the in the way in which the arts has always been he's a patron of the arts he has commissioned he went and got the rights for uh, from the uh, Sousa state because he feels very strongly about this piece and then he went and got uh, commissioned a um, Spanish composer by the name of um, oh my God uh, Lorenzo Palomo P A L O M O and me is the narrator and um, we're we're doing a uh, we did a, 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 a two piano version of it in Rochester as I said about three weeks ago and then uh, it's going to um, uh, premiere at Oberland, and then it's going to start making its rounds to symphony orchestras around the world. Cool, cool. The point that- is that whatever is interesting, right? Oh yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. Out of the the uh, several animated shows you've been a part of, what has been one of your favorites to have worked on? I I don't really. Uh, you now the experience is really sort of it's a it's a difficult. Um, you don't get too connected with it, you know. If I did, if I only come in, you know, once or whatever. I mean, the one that's going on right now is My Little Pony, which I thought was a kids' show. Uh, <laughs> little did I know that uh, that there's such a world as bronies, and uh, you know, my 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 understanding of all that. I actually asked somebody, "Is this coded? Is this?" <laughs> Is this a coded show that really means something else? And they said, "No, no, it isn't." So there's that. Um, uh, I just finished doing a. Um, what did I do? It was a, a game, a sort of a fun game. I cannot remember the name of it though. Uh, I don't know. You have to help me with the. Is it Assassin's Creed or? Oh, I did Assassin's Creed. That was very interesting. That was very interesting. I, I really had a sense that I was working with people who really. You know, obviously, they know their business very well, and and it was fun. That that was that was nice. That was nice. Yeah. Um, kind of going. You mentioned a couple of different things here, working with the the symphonies and and the orchestras. Uh, you've obviously done uh, theater work. You've done film work, television work, uh, video games, cartoons. Do you have a favorite medium within that whole? You know, that within the whole acting genre, is there one that you prefer, or one that just kind of is a personal favorite out of yours? Uh, no, I don't. Um, uh, I tend to, if I'm doing a play, which I just finished doing, uh, you know, after three months, four months, I'm really ready to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like the variety of stuff. I, I, I like that. In a way, though, I mean, just from a technical point of view, you sometimes you don't get, you know, you become a jack-of-all-trades sort of, person but um but i i mostly enjoy just being able to go from one different project to the next i uh, the the notion of um of uh uh doing a play for uh, two three years is really abhorrent to me 
I, I just can't imagine. And I know that there are a lot of actors who think that that's absolutely fantastic, but I, I, I just would hate it. I, I, I absolutely would hate it. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that uh, doing a, a television series. I mean, I did two or three television series, and you know, and they would last a long time. And it's a real grind. And it's and I, you just, I, I just, I, I sort of go dead upstairs after a while. Makes sense. Uh, um, was there ever, if you can remember, was there ever a project that you were involved with, whether it you know be most likely a TV show or something like that, that uh, you're really excited and thought would do go places or do great that never really materialized or was there something that you thought was completely hopeless that you were uh once it got involved but it really took off and was successful and you didn't expect it well um legend uh the the television show legend was something that i thought was going to run for a very long time Mm -hmm. and um most people who saw it just loved it and i thought that uh it was it was a shoe-in and we did 13 episodes, and, uh, and that was it. I don't, uh, I, uh, there, there are a number of reasons why that was it, and I don't think it had anything to do with the show. I think it had everything to do with being on a new network, uh, them not having uh, the affiliates to be able to make sure the show was you know, given its due. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would be at 1 o'clock in the morning or you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, just ridiculous thing. Um, shows that I thought of, uh, that I didn't think were going to be successful and were, um, no, I have not had. It probably kind of goes into the fact that you're pretty, you seem pretty careful, like you said, about the roles that you're picking and, you know, you want that kind of value to it. So it kind of makes sense that you wouldn't get involved with something if you didn't think it was going to go off, you know, take off. Right. I mean, you know, everybody goes into a show hoping and expecting, you know, there's a sort of a, uh, a suspension of, of reality or disbelief or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, you, you, you go in going, oh, this is great and stuff like that. And then it was, it's only when, you know, other people get involved that you begin to say, oh, well, geez, I, I guess I misread that. I mean, I just I just came from a show tonight that my wife was doing. She'd been working on it for the last two months, and and I would say the last two weeks have been a constant. Um, uh, she she has been so down on the show that oh my god, it's just going to be terrible. It's not going to work. It's it's just all this effort and stuff like that. And I went to see the show this morning, this there this afternoon. And it was really good. And then I went back tonight. Uh, that was a, a sort of a dress rehearsal. And then there was the performance tonight. It, it, these are these are kids in the high school of the performing arts, and they're mm-hmm. and uh, uh, they had to write a show. They picked a show. Uh, they picked a story. Really interesting story. One of the first um, uh, prototypes for science fiction, a Chinese story that dates back to the 13th century. Um, it's the, one of the first stories that is in human history that has a character come from another planet, Hmm. uh, in this, well, it not in this, it actually isn't another planet. It's the moon and, uh, she comes from the moon and she's, you know, she's a a daughter of the moon or something like that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, oftentimes uh, you do shows that, that uh, you know, you do say, oh my, you know, you get into it thinking it's going to be fabulous and then you go through a period where you go, this is going to be hell and it's just going to be terrible. And then the, uh, as we say, the, you know, the gods of the theater come down and smile on, on, the, on that night and everything seems to work itself out. What prompted the creation of Alien Voices? Um, I was doing... Um, a bunch of shows for LA Theater Works, and uh, LA Theater Works is a producing arm of, uh, 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 or their shows are on NPR, and they are they are plays, and they're they're plays that are done as radio shows. And I had been with LA Theater Works for a long time, and I had done a number of their shows, and I had directed a bunch of shows. I'd act, I've acted and directed a bunch of shows. I, they were looking for ways to be able to sort of bring in, you know, new audiences and what have you. And I had suggested to Susan that we do War of the Worlds. And, um, 
at that time, I, I also wanted to have a sequel to War of the World. So I called Howard Koch in uh, uh, Woodstock, New York, and asked him if he would write a sequel to War of the World. Uh, he was very old at the time. He was 90, and he really, in the end, was not um, up to the task. But uh, Nat Sigaloff, uh, a writer friend of mine, uh, he, she, he and I did, in fact, write the sequel to it. And so I put together a, uh, a science fiction cast um, uh, made up of science fiction actors, the, the vast majority of them from Star Trek. Susan really didn't know who they were. But let me tell you, the night we opened, we had people, you know, around the block. Uh, no, you know, most people, you know, a lot of people did not get into that sh opening show. And so um, it was very successful. The The headliner of that show was, was Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. When the show was over, I said, Leonard, did you have a good time? And he said, oh, yeah, I had a great time. And I said, well, I have an idea. So he and I talked and I said, um, I, I'd like to bring Nat in. And you and I, and w my idea is to do um, classic science fiction. Uh, the reason I wanted to do cli classic science fiction, and now I'm beginning to see that probably a lot of my life has to do with this dyslexia stuff, is that um, my first book that I read from cover to cover and enjoyed immensely, I was probably around 13 was but it was about the time that I began to be able to read you know at, at enough of a speed so that I I could sort of enjoy the process um and that book was Jules Verne's Mysterious Island and it not only was it a book that I uh, that as I said I really enjoyed but it was a book that has gone on to um impress me in many different ways. I was, I was, I, I just thought it was fantastic that here were a bunch of guys who had nothing. And uh, when, when they came, when they, when they fell into the sea, when the balloon finally uh, deflates and they fall into the sea, they arrive on this island with nothing. And they created through their wits and their and and their understanding of science and what have you, they created essentially a utopian society as as best it could be done. Uh, I, you know, the fact that I, I I I remember putting the book down when I was reading it. You know, but, you know, in bed, I would put the book down when and just think about it because they would go. You know, one guy would go, "Oh, you, I see against this hill." Uh, I see that there's a lot of iron ore. That means we will be able to create a, you know, a forge and we'll be able to make metal. I go, oh my God, how would they know that? Oh, this <laughs> is fantastic. And I wanted to be somebody like that. Uh, I, and and I, 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 just, I, I just thought it was just great. So I said, I want to go back and I wanted, and, and I went on to read Many of the classic science fictions, uh, the, the Wells, the Verne's, you know, I, I read many, many of those. And I said, I'd like to go back and, and do that. And one of the things is, is that I want to make sure that I do it in a way that is respectful to the book. Because at the end of that summer, when I read the, the Mysterious Island, the movie came out. And I was like, "Oh my God, the movie! This is fantastic!" And I went to the to the uh, to the matinee to see the movie. Well, the movie opens up with a bunch of dinosaurs on the beach, and I go, "What the hell is this? <laughs> there are no dinosaurs in the book." And then, you know, and then from the sea on a raft arrived two very blousy women. And I'm like, and I stood up amongst, you know, a, a, a theater filled of kids my age. So, you know, they're all 13. And I started screaming, this is not the story. This is not what was in the book. This was not it. And I got collared and I got thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just thought, God damn it. God damn it. I mean, this is just not acceptable. So, um, so here it was. 
<laughs> many years later that I am, you know, talking to Leonard Nimoy. And I'm going, <laughs> Leonard, we're going to do, you know, what do you think? And he goes, I think it's a great idea. And I said, okay, well, Nat and I will, you know, we will read these books and we will create uh, radio shows from these books. And from, and from the script of these radio shows, we then can do other things. We can create television shows out of them which is what we did for the sci-fi channel or, and, you know, and then we had deals with other companies. So that's where all of that came from. Yeah. I've listened to uh, a couple of them. Uh, most, most notably being the uh, uh, first men on the moon. There was time machine. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Journey to the center of the earth, the invisible man. As a matter of fact, I've just put them on. Uh, um, I've just put them up where you can download them now. Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, AlienVoices.net. I think that's right. AlienVoices.net. If you go to Alien, actually, I can do it while we're talking. If you can go to AlienVoices.net, you can go there and you will see that um, they are all there um, to be downloaded. Very cool. Uh, what are some future plays or uh, projects that you'd like to add to that uh brand name or uh, some other things that you'd like to revisit uh uh you mean for alien voices yes well it, uh, leonard and i are not doing alien voices anymore i mean what happened is is that we had a wonderful time in the four years that we did it but like all good things <laughs> um, it, it came to an end and it came to an end in in no small way because we ended up moving from being creators to being salesmen. Mm -hmm. And we just didn't want to sell stuff. I mean, you know. Right. Yeah. It just, and and then, you know, we had different ideas about how you sell it and then, then, you know, handing it off to other people. And then you kind of go, well, why are they doing that? And, and it just became, it, it, a, a labor of love became burdensome, and uh, since there was never a thing that you know that either of us were actually making our living from, uh, you know, so that was that. You know, um, she uh, it, it was uh, uh, we just said, look, that's sort of it. Right, right. Yeah. I was, I did, I did do a, uh, I did do just, I floated an idea uh, about a, a year ago, uh, right at, at Halloween, about a year ago, which is. I went. Uh, I went online. Uh, well, I went into my garage, and um, and I did the Raven with the help of a friend. I did the Raven, and um, it, it's it's pretty good, and it's really straight right into the camera. Um, and but it's a pretty intense read. Uh, and. Uh, the last time I looked, it had something like 70,000 people had seen it. And my, my intention, I think we've got a theme here. My intention was for uh, teachers to play this to kids who, because one of the things I didn't add to any of this is that um, I, I taught myself how to read through poetry. Uh, when I would look at a page of a book, the, uh, the typeface would be always sort of floating. And it's like, whoa, and everything looked really dense. Mm-hmm. But um, poetry and those poetry books, especially the, the whatever it's called, the living, the, the treasury of poetry or something like that, um, th- they, were, they were spaced on the page kind of in a pleasing manner. You know, little, and they were little blurps, you know, right. uh, a half a dozen lines or maybe at the most uh, a page, what have you. And so I used those as a way to practice. And um, so I have a very, I, I'm, I have a, 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 a good, 
heartfelt feeling about poetry. Huh? So, so this was going to be my, I was going to create a whole bunch of those. Uh, and maybe I still will. I mean, I, I've gone up there, you know, everyone's, I go up on that site every once in a while and people are always saying, oh my God, would you do Xanadu? Or you've got to do the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Or what about, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, so one of these days, I, I might do that, and and the and the um, the people who uh, the comments that are the most wonderful for me are the ones in which somebody will say I'm a teacher of a you know sixth grade class and and I I uh, played this uh, and and uh, you know the the kids were absolutely mesmerized and <laughs> and it got them to realize that uh, you know just words and. And ideas are, can be really fun, and all, you know, so uh, those things are very gratifying. What are uh, some of your favorite characters out of the many you've played over the years? Uh, like, do you have one in particular that's your favorite, or do you just just whatever happens to catch your attention at the time? It's sort of whatever catches my attention at the time. I mean, I, I uh, uh, Jack in Man and Superman, um, Byron in Child Byron. I really grew to love uh, Byron. I really think uh, you know you you research a lot when you play these characters, and and I I grew to really love him. I thought he was great. And uh, uh, Eugene in uh, Days of Our Lives it was a was a really silly, wonderful, wonderful romp. Uh, three years of absolute fun, great fun. Uh, Q, of course. What else? I don't know. Uh, oh, uh, Bartok. Uh, uh, which was, which was uh, Nikola Tesla. Um, uh, that was quite. That was that was wonderful. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Those are some that I can think of. Um, cool. you, you mentioned Q. How, how exactly did you come up with the the personality and the character of Q, and how you portrayed what was in the script for for that character? Was well, I mean was a lot of it outlined in the script, or was a lot of that just stuff that you chose to, as far as how you envisioned the character? Uh, usually, especially in television, where these things are not always that sketched out, they're really waiting for somebody to come in and hand them the role on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to have been doing right. Then, right then and there, I mean, I was in rehearsal for a show called Terra Nova, which was at the taper. And and I was playing the character of Amundsen. Now, that character um, was uh, Amundsen, who who uh, got to the South Pole before uh, Scott. And um, he, he was a bigger-than-life character. So, uh, and, and I myself tend to be a little perhaps a little overly, you know, a little too, too big. (laughs) Uh, But in any case, all, all of that stuff was, all of those juices were flowing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they called me in, they asked me to do an audition and I went in, I looked at the material and I kind of knew, I don't know. I just, he's an arrogant son of a bitch who, uh, who happens (laughs) to, you know, who happens to enjoy, enjoy himself. Um, you know, he's mad, bad, dangerous to know, which is Byron, which is what was said about Byron. Um, he's a, um, he, he's omnipotent <clears throat> with clay feet. You know, uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, you know, he's the most powerful person in, in the world, in, in the universe, but too stupid to know it. I mean, it's whatever are the juxtapositions of those two things, you know? Right. And, uh, and so I went in and I delivered it, bam. And uh, and I think it was at that moment that they went, oh, uh, okay, uh, all right, yeah. Well, this we don't have to. One of the things, especially in television and movies and what have you, is that you don't have a ramp up time. You know, it isn't like well, in three weeks you'll get the character and stuff like that. What you do in the office is what you need to be able to do tomorrow morning at 6 in the morning. So if you can come in as full-blown as that, then, and obviously I, obviously I nailed it. So 
I nailed and I nailed something that they might not have known was quite there. You know, they certainly had no sense of it having humor in it. So that was something that was not part and parcel of anything in the scripts uh, until until the uh, uh, until I brought that. And I'm assuming that when you auditioned for that character in the beginning, that that was a. Am I right to say that that was a, a guest role that didn't necessarily have future appearances planned? Right. That was a one shot. Right. Uh, that was a one shot. And um, uh, Gene's uh, Roddenberry's original notion was is that they were going to just go right into making episodes. Uh, but uh, he lost the battle of it being a, you know, a, an MOW, two hour MOW. And so in, in the process of losing that battle, he had to come up with like, well, how do I extend the story that I have? And what, what uh, 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 which, you know, took him only a certain distance so that he had to bring in kind of the B story or whatever, you know, another mm-hmm. story. And you can see that. And I haven't watched, you know, I watched it maybe twice the show, but and many years ago, but you can see the seam uh, right. in there. I mean, you can go, oh, wow, boy, we really took a right turn there. Um, uh, you know, it's really stitched together, not very elegantly, um, um, uh, of these two stories. And um, I guess a couple, I mean, there, there, are, there are many reasons why that became successful. Flamboyant. Um, you know, people love the notion of having power and having no responsibility, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever I brought to it, um, uh, the tweaking, uh, you know, whatever they brought, who knows, who knows? It's obviously, you know, all of these things are of a collaborative nature. So any actor or any writer or any director who says it's all them is, is wrong. It's it's a it's a collaborative it's a collaboration, uh, and, and even and even when all is said and done, you go into the editing room and it's yet another collaboration. So yeah, all the stars have to align. That's right. So and I guess the stars aligned. Um, after it obviously became you know a recurring character and then obviously appeared in different series. Looking back, once the you know once the Q character had had run its span, looking back at the character. After the fact, did you? Uh, how did you feel about the character overall? Did you were you able to do everything with the Q character that you w- wanted to? Um, was there things that you wish you could have been able to explore with that character? Or at the end, did you feel like you had done everything you could do with that character? Well, you know, um, the biggest problem with the character is is that is that, uh, and I had gone through this experience actually on the soap opera. I, I would say, do not write me funny. Uh, I, my sense of the undercut, my sense of the of irony, and and sort of that that wise ass thing will give it enough of that. But do not write me funny, um, because nobody is really a comedy writer, and this is not a comedy show. Um, so uh, let me give the wink and a nod. Sometimes that was successful, and sometimes it's it went over the line. The best shows were always the shows that had to do with big philosophical issues. Now, you could have a little bit of humor in there, but by and large, what's, what's, what's um, driving that show is, you know, you humans have so screwed up your own backyard. What <laughs> makes you think that you have any right to come out here? Um, uh, is suicide a, a reasonable choice to make? You, uh, um, um, you have one more opportunity to get your life back. What will you do with that? You know, I mean, these type of things, you kind of go, oh, well, these are pretty, these are pretty big ideas. Um, whether v- Q loves Vosh mm-hmm. is, is like, who cares? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it, and and those those if those were not as good, and I I don't sort of remember them for that reason. Makes sense. Yeah. 
I've noticed that you're pretty widespread in all the areas of the acting field. What is has it been like working on so many iconic shows? Well, um, you know, uh, like like what, like uh, like Stargate, Star Trek, uh, Breaking Bad, Torchwood. Uh, yeah, especially, those, like the, especially like the science fiction, especially iconic science yeah. fiction. Shows. Well, I was just going to say those are genre shows. Um, uh, it's fine, you know, fine. <laughs> it's you know, uh, it, it's you know when you're on a major show that's doing really well, it's it's great fun to be on. You know, The West Wing is great fun to be on. Uh, uh, you're just you know everything is clicking at a high level. And then there are lesser shows uh, where you just feel feel it. You just you're just you know you're cranking it out, and and uh, it's not as interesting. <laughs> what are uh, some of your favorite film roles that you've had the pleasure of uh, being in, or like, is there one in particular that stands out from the rest? Well, the one in which I enjoyed the most, and and it's the most bittersweet as far as I'm concerned, it was uh, my work with. Uh, Peter Weir in Fearless. Um, I had many scenes with Jeff Bridges. Uh, we were uh, uh, that uh, about his uh, that had to do with everything up until uh, you know getting onto the plane and all that type of stuff. And then I got a call from Weir saying, you know, I want to tell you that we've decided to cut all the scenes up until the plane. I went, oh my God, oh my God. I thought I thought that this was going to be something that was going to be really great for my career, as well as being involved with some really wonderful people. And, uh, you know, I made a, a, some impression, but not nearly, I just, I, I don't know, I went from like seven or eight scenes to one. <laughs> so, so it was just like, whoa. Um, who else? Uh, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'd have to look at my resume. <laughs> no, I'll look at it here. I will bring it up. I know you're in, you know, Rain Over Me and Multiplicity, and you did the the letter reading for Saving Private Ryan. Um, you're in Gamer. Uh... Oh yeah, I mean they're they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> There's nothing special. <laughs> What has it been been like over the years dealing with uh, the fan bases like you have? Like, you know, obviously Star Trek has a, a insane fan base. I don't mean it in a negative way, but you know, there's so many of them out there. And your recent exposure to the uh, My Little Pony fan base, uh, what has it been like just interacting with such uh, passionate fans? Well, they are. Um Hand that rocks the cradle. That was great fun. I see that Fisher King. That was it was wonderful working with Terry Gilliam. Uh, uh, the Big Time is a show that you guys never saw, I'm sure, but that was really wonderful. That was a wonderful show about the move from radio to um, to television uh, in the nineteen late nineteen. 30s, uh, early 1940s, and I play one of the radio act. I play the radio actor who, in fact, cannot make the transition. It was an interesting thing. I'm sorry. Ask me the question again. Sorry, um, it's just about dealing with the uh, your interactions with some passionate fan bases like Star Trek, My Little oh, Pony. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They are like they they are no different than the people who meet you at the stage door after a show. The only difference is, is that, you know, sometimes it's like 20 years later there, <laughs> you know, and they're asking you questions as if you just finished the show. Um, uh, uh, but the vast, vast majority of, of, of the, uh, uh, of the, you know, what would be considered the, you know, ultra fans are, very sweet, very respectful, very, uh, uh, in many cases, very smart uh, people who just happen to, you know, like like that show. Right. H have you been to any uh, of, like, the different fan conventions for... Oh, yes. I've been to many of them. Yeah. And uh, and they're terrific. I mean, they're, they're terrific. They, You know, I mean, I consider this to be 
to be, to be the uh, science fiction has essentially offered the that the sanctuary from the other half of the population, which would want to be at um, you know a NASCAR race or <laughs> or, or 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 you know or or, or a, a sporting event. Um, it's a little bit of a gentler crowd. And they are uh, uh, they are well read in many instances, and so, you know um, it, it, it allows for a, a sense of, of of science. They enjoy science, and then they enjoy fiction, and then they enjoy computers and movies and and history and costumes and you know all that type right. of stuff. So it's it's uh, it's great. I actually had the. Uh pleasure of actually meeting you one time at a Star Trek convention back in, I think it was 94. <laughs> yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Long time ago. Yeah. Were there any uh, funny inside gags you had while being involved with any of these uh, different projects? You know, uh, everybody asks me that and the people who you can ask and they will actually say oh yes are the ones who are usually series regulars because there are certain days that they have frankly virtually nothing to do just <laughs> just nothing to do okay uh, I mean there are other days where they have they have a lot to do but they're they're do they're in the course of a of 50, whatever uh, 25 episodes there are times and and weeks actually where they just don't have anything to do, so they can play little games and stuff like that. When uh, on for Star Trek, uh, one of the actresses actually said to me one day, she says, "You have more lines in one episode than I have in an entire year." So when I would go on, I was really jammed. Uh, and then add to that the fact that I'm saying these words for the first time, which means I've had to learn them, which now goes back to the tension and, and unpleasantness of having to learn lines. And there was nothing necessarily... I mean, there were days that it, it was fun if, if I didn't have a great deal to do, but it was never, it was never relaxed or fun enough for me to be uh, screwing around at that level. Mm. Yeah, I can yeah. kind of see that. You know, I, and because understand if I if I if I fiddle fart around in the morning, and I have really lots of work to do in, in at the end of the day, the time that I will want. Oh, can we do that? Can, can we do just do that take again? Uh, can we? You know, let me let me just think here. Don't there that that will all be gone. Right. That time will have been, I will that will have been eaten up. So I, I was always very protective about that. That doesn't mean that I wasn't part of my my success. There was to be, you know, silly and naughty and 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 sort of pranksterish. But in terms of just the the uh, everyday, just the getting the work done, it was I just didn't have time for those sort of pranks. Who were some of your role models when you were growing up that influenced you for acting? Well, probably people who um, w w uh, uh, did not help me understand what acting was like, uh, because. Um, but in any case, Basil Rathbone, Adolf Manjou, all of these character actors that I saw, I, I it was a very long time before I began to understand that acting naturally um, was part and part and parcel i was all about just the choices all these great choices these you know <laughs> sometimes operatic choices uh and uh and uh not recognizing that the style for even from when they were acting to when i was a little kid was was moving uh, uh very directly towards um more and more psychological I just finished watching a film uh, a couple of nights ago. Uh, crazy title, uh, 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 forty-four inch chest. Uh, you'd think it's some sort of porn thing or something, but I mean, it was a wonderful British movie, and the the acting the acting style in it is really uh, is so current and so tremendous 
Uh, but it was certainly not what <laughs> Basil Rathbone and Adolf Marsh were doing. Uh, you know, and Clifton Webb, you know, and uh, all those people. If you could pick any actor, you know, living or dead to work with that you never got the chance to work with, uh, you know, who are some who are some people that you would have just, you know, given your right arm to be able to to work with? Well, I've become a huge fan of, of a guy who I will never work with because of just... Uh, but do you know who Tom Hardy is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, did you Have you guys seen Bronson? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, no. Wow. Holy moly. I mean, that is amazing work. Just amazing work. Oh, I don't know. All of these... Uh, I, I tend to be typed into the sort of you know the intellectual. You know the guy at the 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 the, uh, the guy at the whatever it is the uh, the lawyer or the mm-hmm. teacher or the so on. So, you know, um, uh, I, I don't know. So I, I I I don't I don't have much hope that I will get roles with with these guys. Um, one of my all-time favorite shows is MacGyver, and I read somewhere that you are. Uh, you are or were close friends with Richard Dean Anderson. Is that valid? No, we weren't close friends, but um, uh, he and I were in the same... He was in Legend. Okay. So we worked with each other for whatever it was, eight months. Okay. What did you think about getting to work with uh, Leonard Nimoy for the Alien Voices? What did you think about getting to work with him and uh, the other ex-Star Trek cast on... Well, I thought it was it was great. I mean, Leonard Leonard is a wonderful, wonderful man, really a terrific guy, and uh, a consummate actor. Used to be an acting teacher, um, obviously wonderful director. So all of that was 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 great. Just my last two questions here are: Do you have any uh, besides the ones that you've already mentioned? Do you have anything coming up that you would? Uh, like to you know promote or let us know about any projects that you have coming down the pipeline? Uh, no, I. Uh, I mean, I have I have a couple of symphony orchestra things that I'm doing. Right. Um, right. Uh, one is in Rochester in May, uh, and then the other is in Oberlin in April. Um, I think I'm going to write a new piece about the Russian symph- Russian um, conductors or er, 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 composers. Uh, for a show here in Los Angeles in uh, in September, and after that, uh, it's to get my boat ready for the South Seas, and um, and you know that's that. Nice. Uh, final question for me: What was it like having uh, each one of your? I believe I read this right on the resumes and IMDb and whatnot, but having each of your kids appear in some of the projects, especially some of the Star Trek projects, with you, um, and what are your kids up to these days? It, as far as their uh, younger son is studying architecture at the University of British Columbia, and my older son is, works for an op, an organization called I, IOM International Office of Migration uh, out of Jordan, and he runs the uh, Iraq mission, which is to um, to determine uh, uh, to to figure out what's what's going on with the displaced people in Iraq. Interesting. And, and he was the one who was played my son on Star Trek. Okay. Oh, cool. Uh, finally, final question. Do you have any advice for people who aspire to get into acting or voice acting? Well, sure. Um, think of it as a sport, um, which is to say that it's it's all about doing it. And so you just have to do it over and over and over again. You, you, it, it sort of works with that 10,000 hour rule. You know, mm-hmm. nobody gets really good at anything until they spend a good 10,000 hours at it. And not to, you know, say, well, I'm going to go to New York or I'm going to go to Los Angeles uh, right off the bat because you will most likely get eaten up. And, and mo- well, more to the point is that most likely nothing will happen. So what what they should do is that they should whatever town they're in, uh, you know, whatever you know, Louisville, Kentucky, or or, or 
you know, Sacramento, California, they must exhaust all of the opportunities that they have in that town first, which is to go to the community theaters, to the opera, to the whatever it is that they want to do, and make sure they shoot as many films that they don't. Get to the point that they've outgrown their own town, and then begin the the march as it were to these two or there there are probably three or four meccas uh chicago new york la maybe seattle i don't know but that's about the only you know oh, oh san francisco uh boston i don't know if you can really make a full living in boston or not but but um uh, until you've made your, you know, until you begin to move to those towns and then get a resume going so that when you do come to New York or do go come to Los Angeles, somebody can look at it and go, oh, well, you know, gee, you really got some stuff here. You know, okay, okay. Uh, that it's, you'll still start at the bottom rung, on the bottom rung, but, 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 you know, people won't just blow you off as just kind of a wannabe. You will actually have experience. Makes sense. Yep. We'd like to thank you once again, John, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us this evening. Uh, is there any way that it, for people to contact or get a hold of you for more information or just to chat you up online? Websites? Oh, or... I don't really want to do that. Okay. Uh, I, okay. I just... Um, uh, only because I get into dialogues and I, I just don't, I don't want to be rude and I just don't have that time. I, I just don't have the time to do that. And um, so I, uh, that's why I do these things. <laughs> actually. We appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, that way you can ask me all the questions you want. I think I answered pretty fully. And, um, and, um, Otherwise, it, and and this way you can play it to many many different people as opposed to me, you know, one person at a time answering a question. Right. Well, I, I I'd like to thank you too personally. I mean, I really appreciate this. I would have if you would have told me, you know, fifteen, you know, eighteen years ago when I was watching, you know, whatever Star Trek: The Next Generation that I'd get to talk to you someday. I would not have believed it. So I really appreciate you taking the time out and uh, and talking to us. Well, it's my pleasure, and your questions were great. So I and I hope that uh, this you can use this uh, material well. Yes. Oh yes, we will indeed. We'll ask you to hold the line, and we'll be back after this. Quote the raven, nevermore. And the raven still is flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted. Nevermore. In any case, I'll be watching. And if you're very lucky, I'll drop by to say hello from time to time. See you out there. You've just listened to Geekcast Radio. On the GeekCast Radio Network, there are several ways to get in contact with us or leave feedback for the show. First, visit the website, geekcastradio.com, where you can comment on all of our different podcasts. Second, you can rate our show and leave us feedback in iTunes. Third, follow us on Twitter at GeekCast Radio. Fourth, become a fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash geekcastradio. Call the voicemail line, 502-526-5821. Please remember to tell us the show you are leaving the message for at your name. So until next time, unleash the geek in you.